you know, neurologically, when you look at adolescence between about 12 and 14, it's such an impressionable time. And uh, yeah, I thought if I work with people, I'll never get bored. And guess what? I'm right. Every new client that comes into my office is a new map for me. And it's really just worked out beautifully. ADHD Rewired episode 126. This is the show designed to help those of us who have really good intentions and a slightly wandering attention. My name is Eric Tivers. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, coach, and consultant. We know that starting can be the hardest part, so let's get started. But first, let me thank our sponsors. Support for this podcast comes from Audible. Audible is offering listeners of ADHD Rewired a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial. During the break, I'm going to share another listener's recommendation. If you think this one sounds good, you can get it for free when you sign up at audibletrial.com slash ADHD Rewired. Turn good intention into amazing actions with the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group. This virtual video-based group coaching program meets three times a week. Improve your productivity, develop better habits, experience the true power of supportive accountability from members of our own tribe. Learn, grow, and connect. Learn more at ADHDrewired.com. I hope to see you there at ADHDrewired.com. And prepare to get your ADHD rewired. Welcome back to another episode of ADHD Rewired. I'm really excited today. We have a special guest, James Ochoa. James is a licensed professional counselor. He's a founder and director of the Life Empowerment Center in Austin, Texas, and author of the new book, Focused Forward, Navigating the Storms of Adult ADHD. And I'm glad to say that I did my homework and I actually uh, just finished this book last night at about 10.30 p.m. Um, but I enjoyed listening to it on my vacation that I was uh, that I was just on. So, James, I wanted to kind of dig right in and, and talk about your book because it's, you know, part of ADHD Rewired is we tell stories, we share strategies, and we root it in science, right? Right. And what I love about your book, and especially the, in the introduction of your book, is you share your story, and I don't think you left many details out. <laughs> so, I actually did leave some details out, believe it or not. <laughs> is, that, is that like the, the bonus edition? Or the, uh, oh, maybe. Maybe if you get to know me personally. But it's like I, I, I wanted to put enough in there, the authentic, authenticity it's just so critically important. I, I agree with you. Now, at four years old, there was a, you, had, you shared a story, and they were four years old, that yep. you uh, hit your head on concrete, ended up in the hospital for quite some time, for what, about eight weeks? Yep. And um, they, the prognosis was not good. No, it wasn't. It was a 95% chance of dying is what they told my parents. And you said that this experience at four years old changed everything. It did. And, you know, as a four-year-old, uh, the change was not so consciously recognizable as I certainly look back. 
but it rooted my life in a space of uh, a near-death experience uh, and then a spiritual experience. Eric, as I talk about in the book, of uh, in the oddest occasions, right, seeing a blue orb floating above my bed. I mean, it's like, hey, who sees blue orbs? I know. When, when I read that, Jim, I was like, okay, what's this book? What's this book going to be? I know. I know. I know. I know. And we debated, believe me, my, my editor and writing coach really debated it. But uh, with my publicist, it was a really important story because it was a life-changing event that uh, it gave me a way to see into life intuitively that I might not have had otherwise. And if you talk to anyone with near-death experiences, uh, they have that concept to living that there's, you know, life is very short. We don't know uh, what's going to happen tomorrow. And so get living. And so the, how it changed you, how it was so significant to you is that it, it you weren't sure what the purpose was going to be, but you knew that you had a purpose in life. And uh, well, what actually struck me about that is when I was about four and a half, maybe five years old, um, I was hospitalized. I had a very serious case of pneumonia and had like a hundred and six fever. And, wow. uh, um, you know, I almost died, I guess. And, <laughs> right. uh, and what's interesting is that the story that my, my parents tell me is that before that experience, I was a very sweet, easygoing kind of kid. And then after that experience, I had my own agenda and, oh, wow. and I had a, and basically said I was very, I was kind of a changed kid. I was, I wanted to do things when I wanted to do it, the way I wanted to do it. And I didn't really want to answer yep. to anybody. Right. <laughs> so it's, you know, when you sort of have this, oh, yeah. this, your, your sense of, of control as a kid completely yep. stripped away from yep. you. Um, yep. I think it does sort of shift our, our perspective. I really think it does. And I think there are a lot of folks out there. And if you look at the ADHD spectrum, right, and the degree of risk it can create at times regarding impulsivity or poor decision making, um, unfortunately, it can create a lot of high risk events that do create those kind of situations. Yeah, I know that, uh, you know, Russell Barkley talks a lot about, you know, ADHD is not a, you know, it's not a, a um, you know, a walk in the park kind of behavior oh, or disorder. No. It, it's, oh, there no. are a lot of health incompatibility implications with it including our lifespan statistically oh, yeah. speaking is cut short often due to not taking care of our health uh, high risk engaging high risk behaviors but i always oh, yeah. tell people you know sort of the, the caveat of this research is we don't need to be a statistic like when we understand these right. things we can say right. okay like here's what the research shows how can i change that outcome right right i'm gonna wake up at a different level. And I think, yeah, if you look at Barclays research, right, about the health and the medical and legal implications, it's just, it's horrific. And it's why he's tried to get in front of people for so many years and wake them up from a health crisis point mm -hmm. of view, that the undiagnosed degree of, of ADHD out there is tragic. It really is. Yeah. So like me, like many people who, who listen to the show, um, you were not diagnosed with ADHD until much later. Um, yes. When you were 14, um, you, you began a, a treatment regimen of marijuana and alcohol. Um, <laughs> so you're doing some self-medicating. Um, and also around that time, uh, your, your brother um, was suffering some significant mental health challenges. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, it was. Um, I grew up in a in a pretty large, crazy family in the sense of, of of intensity. We had seven. We had eight children. There were seven and eight years. Six of those were boys in that first seven, and I was num I was number seven out of eight, so I was at the bottom of the heap. 
Um, and so we all pitched in, you know, there's great stories about we, by the way, we, uh, we threw 500 papers as boys in our adolescence to help our parents make ends meet. And, uh, so I was stacking 500 papers on Saturday, Sunday morning. Newspapers. Okay. Papers. Oh yeah. It's a whole, I just had, James, I just had this image of you just like throwing paper around. I'm like, why? Like <laughs> newspapers. Okay. Oh, I'm newspaper. with you. We were newspaper, but we're out guys. And anyway, I, but at 14, 15, my brother, uh, who was 19, 20 at the time, uh, had his onset of paranoid schizophrenia. Mm. Uh, it had come out of my father's side of the family. Mm. Who, his twin had been schizophrenic. Uh, but, you know, my uncle was a savant-level pianist uh, who taught himself piano uh, with ever having lessons. He was a concert pianist as sounds an adult. Like, sounds like me, in a sense. I've, I've taught I'm telling piano. you. So I, I loved my dear brother, and I had a great relationship with him over time. And uh, and Ron really taught us about unconditional love in so many ways. And, uh, you know, the interesting thing is I was um, – if you look at schizophrenia, Eric, mm-hmm. uh, one of the most effective treatments today is building a relationship with yourself around what the schizophrenia is and mm-hmm. is not mm-hmm. regarding voices and things like that. And it's interesting. My brother at that time, he and I would talk over the next 10, 20 years of that. That's a lot of what he did and what I did. We would talk about his mental illness together uh, and how it presented. And I don't know that he was completely conscious of that in episodes of, of, uh, of paranoia or things like that. But, um, you know, we had great dear loving parents who really cared for him pretty much their entire life. And, uh, uh, and unfortunately he passed away at 51 of a heart attack, but, uh, not before he taught us a lot of lessons, a lot of lessons. I think when we grow up in an environment where, where someone in our family is significant, where their brain isn't doing what it's supposed to do. I mean, right. for me, it was my, my father uh, had a brain injury uh, when I was 14 mm. years old in high school. And, oh, wow. and, for, and really, I felt like I lost my father at that time. He's, he survived, yeah. still living, you know, but he was a very changed person. So uh, I mean, yeah. it, it just, it was striking to me how many sort of parallels uh, there. I was just going to say, <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, we're like brothers from another mother. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So um, you you kind of barely made it through high school, right? You um, you did go to college, right? Obviously, you're 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 a professional counselor. Yep. And uh, what was that experience like for you? Well, I think um, you know, as I look back, there was certainly a lot of social promotion in high school that occurred, uh, and I think a lot of my learning challenges were there. And I think my mother really helped carry me through. I talk about her helping me write my papers all the way through high school. Um, but, you know, I, I could put it on a public platform now. I'm confident enough to understand uh, where my success comes from. But, you know, I scored an 875 on my SATs. You know, coming out with an 875 of an SAT in high school was horrific. And I went into college on a conditional basis. Um, and so, you know, it was a catch-as-catch-can kind of space. And that's where in college... Uh, I began to see my drug use uh, activate, but it activated towards stimulant medication mm. as we would know it. But it, I was adjusting it. I was prescribing it. That's not a good thing. Uh, and so, you know, my overuse of methamphetamines uh, led to an addiction related issue. Uh, I, I only put one or two sentences in the uh, book, which is where I was telling you there's a deeper story. that you know, I came very close to going to the federal penitentiary uh, because I was way too close to the fire on drug and alcohol use. And mm. I, you know, by the grace of many things in my life, I didn't, uh, and making it through college was critical. Um, and it was not a, certainly not an easy task, but, 
Uh, I love psychology. I love people. Uh, and I had my mom who was really a champion behind me. There was something you said in the book, uh, I think it was in one of your, your courses, where um, you said that, that there's, you know, how many million people are there in the world and every one of us is different. And you're like, oh, everybody's different. I won't get bored of that. I want to work right. with people. Right. And I thought that was great. I thought that was great. Yeah, it was so bizarre because that was actually back in seventh grade, which, you know, neurologically, when you look at adolescence between about 12 and 14, it's such an impressionable time. And uh, yeah, I thought if I work with people, I'll never get bored. And guess what? I'm right. Every new client that comes into my office is a new map for me. And it's really just worked out beautifully. You know, it's interesting because I sometimes think that, um, you know, will I work with, with ADHD and, and autism, which is the other half of my practice uh, right. for the rest of my life? And I say, you know, I don't know. Like I can see myself switching at some point in my life, but I got to tell you, I haven't gotten bored yet. You right. know, so it's, it's, uh, I don't think bored. I don't think boredom is the factor here. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. You know, it comes to the paperwork then. Yeah. But I, you know, that's where we develop systems and tools. And exactly. we're going to, we're going to actually talk about some of that uh, after the break. Cause I know that one of the things right. that you shared with me that you, you want to get some coaching on is how do you stick with a system? But we're going to get okay. to that later. Great. Great. So you were, so let's back up. So you were at a, a sort of a self-help um, uh, conference, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you met someone who ended up yes. being very significant in your life. Yes. Tell us about that. So, um, yeah. So I'm at a self-help seminar after uh, I'm starting to get into an awareness about my drug and alcohol use. Uh, and uh, I meet one of the most beautiful women uh, I can tell you where I met her at seventh in Congress in Austin, Texas. She was wearing a teal blue coat, had gorgeous red lipstick on cute as could be curly hair. I walk past this woman and I turn around and I look and I go, Oh my gosh, she is just gorgeous. And then I go back into the self-help seminar and we're supposed to buddy up with people. And she buddies up with my best friend, another woman there. And I'm like, Oh my God. So we wound up having lunch together. Uh, and we started dating about six months later. Um, and she was a real, uh, catalyst for me in my growth because she said, you know, I'm not into these relationships that have problems with drugs or alcohol in them and you need to get some help or this isn't going to work. And, uh, that's all I needed was a little prodding. Um, and so I met Edie, uh, and Edie has been, Edie and I have been married for 27 years. Wow. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. It's, uh, it's been quite a swirl and, uh, she is now a life coach. She is an uh, uh, ADHD strategist, and she has her own practice in the suite of offices that I have here at the Life Empowerment Center. And um, we have two boys, 25 and 21 now, just the, the uh, lights of my life. Uh, but Edie was, uh, is quite a, a real grace in my life in so many ways, Eric. There's just And uh, funny little quick backstory, she, uh, she went and had some neurochemistry testing done because she had some anxiety and other things going on in her life. And when they tested her neurochemistry, they came back and asked if she was on stimulant medication because Mm. her neurochemistry was so high for dopamine. Uh, And I thought, well, you know what? I think I won the lottery. So I met a wife who had this enormous ability to help focus and concentrate me and, and help platform things in our family. And so I figured I won the lottery. If my dopamine levels were low, hers were really high. Okay. So 
You, you just mentioned that you, you work together. And before we sort of get into some of the work that you do, because there's a lot of really interesting things uh, that you talk about in the book, including the tools. And you have a lot of the tools that you mention Absolutely. are very sort of unusual in the sense of thinking about them as tools. Mm-hmm. So I want to get to that in a moment. But what I want actually you to share is how you sort of realize that you have ADHD. Um, and that's a, we always have lots of funny stories in our lives. And so, you know, I've been practicing in the field, treating ADHD in children and adolescents and now adults. This was back in the mid nineties. So, uh, five, six years. And I go to buy a, um, uh, an evaluation tool, a computerized performance test, which is one of the most objective, wonderful ways to help diagnose the condition. And I go up to the training and I volunteer like us exuberant ADD people will be. And I volunteer to go and, and, you know, show the example on how it's done. And I can't do the test, Eric. I'm in front of 60 other colleagues and I'm in the middle of it going, okay, I missed missed that one. Oh, I missed that one too. And Joe, the developer is laughing. He's going, oh, you're pretending to be ADD. That is so funny. It's really helpful for all of us. And I'm thinking, okay, I cannot come out in front of 60 colleagues, um, but I can talk to Joe and I did about actually at the chat conference uh, about six months later, Joe and I sat down over dinner and as I pulled out my, I, my computerized test results. I said, Hey Joe, take a look at this. Um, and it was there in the discovery with my own personal psychiatrist uh, that I also use for supervision now in discussion with him about uh, adult ADD. It was very clear. It was on my mother's side of the family when I started to look into it Um and, you know, I've, uh, I had a, uh, executively coached someone before, uh, who was about five or six family generations apart from me, uh, had raging problems with attention related issues. So it's been a very interesting ride to discover that within my own family, because I also think my head injury is a, a complicating factor about mood and, uh, instability and irritability under stress. Right. And so, but it's so funny to be sitting in front of a professional group and suddenly trip on yourself going, I didn't know that about myself. Oh man. I can only imagine. Yeah. It was, uh, it's probably it, one of those like, yeah, I'm, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'll go back to my seat now. And like, uh, Oh my God. It was uh, no, no to, to self call psychiatrist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to look into this. This is a test that objectively measures ADHD. Was it, I, was it the quotient test? It's not the quotient. It's the uh, integrated visual and auditory continuous performance. Test. Okay. So the yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like the Tobin. It's like the Connors, but it integrates auditory and visual computer performance. Okay. Uh, so now that sort of led you down, like learning that you had ADHD and, and then you really started now. Um, Remind me, because I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I might get the sequence of events out of order. And I did just finish the book yesterday. Um, you're working with ADHD was before or after your diagnosis? It was before. So I started in 89. That's wild. Right. It's really wild. And, you know, I was asking the psychologist who designed the program, the uh, great, great, great cognitive behavioral therapy program in 89, uh, Dr. Larry Backus, who's uh, one of the endorsers on my books. And he, um, I asked him several times, I said, Larry, I have attention issues. And he just kind of smiled and said, you know, you know, we all have activity and we all have, he never really, you know, and I'm in a professional setting. And so as a, 
as a director of a program, he's not going to go tell me that. Uh, but he's, he didn't tell me no either. Uh, he just well, said, it's yeah. funny because I'm just imagining myself if I were in that position. Like, hell yeah, I would tell you that. Like, <laughs> Well, and I'm not sure, you know, okay, because Eric, this is 1990, 91. Sure. We're still wondering about adults. Right. Uh, we're just beginning to understand does the spectrum really go into adulthood? Mm-hmm. Uh, if it does, what does it look like? We have some studies that go back into the 70s, but very few of them, right? So, so in your book, you talk about this this idea of this emotional distress syndrome. Yes. And that's kind of the heart of what I want to talk about. Um, right. Now, was this a term that, that you came up with? Yes. Okay. So it's a, yeah. And it's a term I came up with um, after tripping, struggling, falling, rolling around in the mud with my clients with behavior modification, personalized strategies, education, how the brain develops, executive functioning, mentality. We were using all of that, right? And by the late 90s, I'm going, this isn't enough. These people have a chronic health condition. I'm a professional counselor. They're coming to me. I'm now having clients in my practice five, six, seven years. And I'm going, this is not, this is like schizophrenia in the chronic nature of the condition. And it's not getting better. And I'm going, what do I do? Um, And you're saying that it's like schizophrenia, just that it's chronic. Correct. Okay. Absolutely. It's just chronic in the, in the nature that it doesn't go away and developmentally, it looks different at different ages. Mm -hmm. Uh, we knew it was a genetic condition, right? We had solidified that in the mid-90s. Um, but I had done training for post-traumatic stress disorder in the mid-90s as well. Uh, and had been trained in a technique called eye movement desensitization reprocessing, or EMDR. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I began to look at this chronic mental-emotional stress and challenge, Eric, as a like, I said, this is kind of like a post-traumatic stress. These people are going through chronic breakdowns. They don't feel good about themselves. Uh, they feel bullied. They feel misunderstood. So I started treating it like a post-traumatic stress. Um, so I would treat it. But then somebody would lose their job again because they were impulsive or something would happen. And they would have another trauma. And I'm like, okay, okay, now this is a PTSD that doesn't go away. I said, so what do you call a PTSD that doesn't go away? And I said, well, it's an emotional distress. It has a lot of stress that is chronic. And it's a syndrome, which means that a syndrome builds on itself uh, and has lots of different faces to it. Um, And as I began to conceptualize that in the early 2000s, I said, you know what? We have to learn to rebuild the internal sense of self. Because that, I've known this for years, right? And you may have experienced this yourself, that self-esteem and self-identity are just hammered for us. We don't really care or know who we are. We don't really know how we're valuable or why we're valuable around our identities. And and so then I began tasking myself when I came up with the idea of, okay, an emotional distress syndrome is the mental and emotional stress that spins off of the condition. And it's a chronic mental health condition that once you learn to manage and learn to navigate your life with it, yeah, you'll get thrown out of balance, but you come back into center more effectively. But if you don't know that about yourself, you tell me. This is where I talk about in the book. You know, I've seen little bitty triggers throw people off for years. 
Well, it's a couple of things sort of, a couple of things sort of come to mind with that. Um, one, about two years ago, um, I was doing some stuff on spreadsheets and, you know, you mentioned spreadsheets to most people with ADHD and their eyes just kind of glaze over. Right. And like, I'm, I'm experiencing actual physical anxiety. Like I'm like, I'm shifting my, like my attention from one thing, transferring information to another. And Mm -hmm. I sort of have always interpreted that as I'm really just taxing my executive functions and that's sort of creating this feeling of anxiety. Sure. But then I started wondering, you know, maybe there's something else. Maybe if there's that tasks like this um, really were were things that I screwed up on a lot when I was younger. I I can't tell you how many times, James, when I was filling out those damn Scantron bubbles, there's 50 questions on the test and I get to the end of the Scantron. Why did I just fill out number 51? <laughs> right it's like oh damn it you know and then i'm like do i really want to go back and like fix all that like nah so i'll right. just turn it in <laughs> right right so you tell me and how many times does that does that happen oh right? man i mean and that kind of stuff used to happen all the time you know so i, I was sort of to wonder like is this sort of like a ptsd yeah you know, it's, yep, it's right. great because I know there's no real danger in me do it's just boring, sort of tedious work. Right. But why right. is it creating this sort of emotional response? And I so I think it's a really interesting theory that I would love to sort of see some some actual research uh, behind. You know, I would, too. And this is where, as I talk about in the book, I'm I'm not a neuroscientist. I'm not a researcher. I call myself much more, you know, beyond counseling. I'm a functional strategist. I want people to get better tomorrow. You know, yeah. I want them to have something more effective today. And so I, it's why I've stayed in the trenches. Um, but you're right. I would love to see, um, and maybe my youngest son will do this. He's headed to neuroscience and maybe he'll do the fMRIs of, of what's happening with people when they're having a hard time organizing something because uh, it's necessary. I agree. Because yeah, there's definitely something like where it just feels like my brain just goes into like full throttle, like it's using all its resources for something yeah. that shouldn't take all its resources. Exactly. Right? Exactly. The alarm button goes off. So, okay. So I want to talk a bit about tools and then coming, right. we'll circle back to EMDR because I know that's one of the tools that, awesome. uh, that you talk about. So right. I was walking, I was walking along Lake Michigan, listening to your, the, the audio book. And you getting into it's part two in your book, you're talking about tools. And the, the first tool you talk about is the tool of acceptance. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, dang, I don't usually think about tools and accept- <laughs> acceptance as a tool. I think about it as a really important like strategy about it, right. it looking at it right. as a mindset um, right. sort of perspective. So why, why did you decide to, to label that as a tool? Because if you look at acceptance, the nature of the disruption and the distress and the difficulty creates an ongoing nature of acceptance, Eric. I think we can accept that we have the diagnoses, but now I remember, oh my gosh, I really didn't file my taxes the last three years. So now I have to accept it around my taxes. Now I have to accept it over here. So it's a, to me, it's, that's one end of a tool that it has these multifaceted. The other piece of it being a tool of acceptance is when I go to tell others about it, I have to know how to tell others. I know how to accept other people's reactions. I know how to accept myself as a result of the condition. So now I'm using something as an ongoing tool that I'm going to have to manage. And so if that makes sense to me, it was really important to talk about it as a tool because it's multifaceted and it's an ongoing nature that I have to stay in front of. I don't think there's 
uh, people will say, well, okay, I got diagnosed and I accept it. Now, 10 years later, I realized um, I just retired and I don't know what to do with my life and I'm spinning out of control again and I have to accept that again. Now, James, I know that you're closer to retirement, at least the retirement age than, than I am. Um, do you have any plans for retiring? Because to me, the thought of retiring frightens the hell out of me. It does. So here's, here, here's how I've morphed the model of retirement. I have a three, I have a three, one, I want to flip my weekends and my weekdays. Okay. I work two day. I want to work two days a week and have five day weekends. That's one model of retirement. Two, I want to increase my value and decrease my work time. Okay. But I love what I do, Eric. Yeah, me too. Uh, and one of the healthiest things for our minds, right? And, and the science of it is to keep it active. I can, you know, I, I, I know, I know a great individual with ADHD. He's 86 years old. He's a professional counselor here. Um, and yeah, I want to work into my nineties, you know? And so to me, I want to work less. I still want the quality to be there because there's so much work to do in this field, particularly mm -hmm. around this condition. You know, I was just at, uh, last weekend, I was at the, uh, the podcast movement conference, uh, in Chicago mm -hmm. and one of the keynote speakers there, and I keep forgetting this guy's name, um, the guy from Jay and Silent Bob, um, that always wears like the, the, uh, hockey jersey and Smith something. Um, mm -hmm. I can't remember his name yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm just imagining all the listeners right now, like yelling at their, their, you know, their iPhones, like <laughs> it's, like, I, can't, I can't hear you. Right. So anyways, one of the things that he said that was so, that was like really resonated with me because he was sort of talking about, you know, that these traditional approaches to, to success, like it's school doesn't necessarily like one school is not for everybody. And it doesn't necessarily uh, um, ensure success, especially if you're paying loans out to Wazoo for the rest of your life. Right. And he, he says, you know, what's so important that we teach people is that find what you love and then just figure out how to make oh a living gosh. doing it. And I'm yes. like, yes, 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 yes. That yes. is so, so true. It is. And on the spectrum of ADHD as a diagnosis, having a passion about what you're doing or what I call it stopping time, it could change and affect anybody in the world tomorrow. Um, Eric, that allows us to have motivation and interest at a very high level so that the minutiae and the details, when they're challenging, which they will be, they don't throw us off the mark of our interest or our passions. And I have a funny saying that I say, you know, when you found your passion, what are you in a rush for? You just have the rest of your life. <laughs> so it's like, really enjoy it. I can see you enjoy what you do. And certainly I, I love what I do. I love what I do. So in the realm of acceptance, one of the, the thoughts that I was having was, you know, my, so my, I don't even know if I've talked about this on the podcast. I might have, um, you know, with 125 plus episodes, it's hard to remember what I've talked about sometimes. Sure, sure. Um, so in my graduate school research, I focused on, um, uh, students with disability, like invisible disabilities, ADHD, learning disabilities, uh, et cetera. And the key for success with, for the, for these people for people like ourselves and it, and what you talk about is acceptance. I'm and what you were just describing to me, it resonates with the three sort of pillars of success for people with, with ADHD. And that's having self-awareness, mm -hmm. self-determination yes. and, and, and self-advocacy skills. Yes. So when you have those three things, mm -hmm. ADHD is no longer a variable in your success and in, in your outcomes. And, and these are the outcomes are, li are life satisfaction outcomes. They are. 
They are at that point, and you're on what I would describe as the thriving side of life, right? And it's you stress, it's positive stress, and those pillars are critical because then it's these are quirks and characteristics, okay? It's my height and my weight. It's nothing, okay, the, everyone's different. Okay, let's go. Yes. Let's go have some fun. Absolutely. Your, the next tool you talked about in your book is the tool of mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about that. Uh, mindfulness certainly has um, gotten an enormous amount of popularity in the last 10 years in the United States, but mindfulness is more than 3,000 years old on the planet, right? So I think it's funny. We Americans like to believe we just discovered it. Uh, there, was a, there was a funny article on mindfulness and meditation in the New York Times six months ago about the capitalization of, of meditation and how we've, we've created it into a business as we will here in the U S that's what uh, we do. It is. So mindfulness is the ability to pause the mind. It's the ability to take it out of drive and put it in neutral. Mindfulness is the ability to be curious and observant of my surroundings. And as we know in the, either the stress nature or the diagnosis of ADHD or the underactivity in, uh, in neurological parts of the brain, uh, our minds don't settle. They don't pause. They don't go into neutral very naturally. So in practicing mindfulness, uh, I can start to pause and see things around me. And I've been meditating as a component of my mindfulness uh, for a little over six and a half years. And I would place mindfulness and my meditation practice into th- three spectrums for people with ADHD. It's you would use a guided type of, of, of mindfulness or meditation first. It gives us a framework to walk on mm-hmm. and use periods of silence that I separate with a bell with a certain app that I use. And then you what, have what app do you use? I use insight time. I use that too. Right. The great, the great social uh, media. I love network. it. I love it. I just meditated with 3,500 people around. I, I love that. I'll have to friend you on my insight timer. I'll have to go look at that. <laughs> um, but you know, the third area of contemplation or mindfulness is contemplation, Eric, which is the ability to observe myself doing an action and slow myself down. So mm-hmm. I'm washing dishes. Now I'm folding my clothes. Now I'm uh, helping to uh, uh, get my child ready in the morning for school. And I can be more mindful of what I'm doing. I can slow my actions down. And, um, and I just the really, I put mindfulness and meditation practices, uh, as a Maslow hierarchy of need now, mm. food, water, shelter, it's gotta be right up there. Exercise is there, but you've just got to learn it, particularly with this diagnosis to, to really start to, to navigate the stress module that comes off of this. I know for myself, it's, uh, you know, I've gone in and out of, of an active kind of mindfulness-based meditation yeah. practice. It's been a hard one for me to stick with. Um, yep. I would say I'm very mindful sort of in my day-to-day life, but actually having a meditation practice mm-hmm. uh, that goes along with it. When I'm doing it, I just, I, I know the power of it because I've experienced it. You know, one of the, and I've talked about this recently on, on a uh, podcast where one of the things that I, I notice is it's easier for me to shift my attention between tasks that I typically have a hard time transitioning from. Or mm-hmm. like I'll approach a task where I'll notice a thought of like, oh, I don't really want to do that right now. And then the next thing I know, I'm actually doing the task. 
Right. And then I'm like, oh, whoa, like what, what happened? Like I'm doing this task that I, I remember telling myself I didn't really want to do it, but now I'm doing it. Like the resistance, right. it was almost just this like this whisper of like a, a thought that I'm so used to having. Yes. Right. And it was, so it was, it was just, you know, my brain sort of going into to autopilot, but my mind was sort of aware of the thought and it was also yep. aware of the intention and yes. it didn't give credence to the thought. Right. And now suddenly you've got a duality in your mind that you're managing so differently. And we're not running on default, right, of stress, Eric. And we're not running out of survival and fear. We're running out of, wow, I'm contemplative here. I, I did. I had felt the resistance, but I went ahead and did it anyway. Awesome. This is really interesting. Uh, it's so wonderful to have that kind of activity and that um, uh, awareness, as you were talking about earlier, is kind of uh, the three, one of those three step areas mm -hmm. to have. It's really, really critical. So mindfulness meditation, absolutely important. Uh, practice it, and, and, and we just stay engaged with it as much as we absolutely can. All right. Your, the next tool we talk about in the book is spirituality. Mm -hmm. And I got to the center. I was like, oh, boy, here we go. Oh, good. <laughs> I get excited about this. It took me over three weeks to write that one two-page section. Oh, my God. It was so difficult to write, but very meaningful. All right, so so in the most concise way that you can, how how do you define uh, spirituality as a tool before we before we lose all our listeners? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so a, a spirituality on one end is what brings personal meaning to your daily living. So now anything can be spirituality. Uh, I, I am a geek for uh, the what's called a handmade Lucchese boots. They fit like a glove. I have five pairs of them. I'm a geek. I've only worn them for the last 14 years. It's one of my obsessive natures. Are you wearing uh, them now? I am. Let's see. Absolutely. Okay. I will. I will show you. Uh, this makes great audio. I'll do the best I can to uh, describe it. Uh, where's my boot? So yes, he is. All right. So these these, tan, these tan uh, boots that are. Uh, yes. That are kind of no laces on them. Oh um, gosh, no laces. <laughs> here, not at all. See, here, we'll just we'll just get really crazy, and I'll stick my boot up there. It is. There, and it goes to probably nice little... probably about a foot up the ankle. Right, um, right, there right. You right. Go. So they're and... ropers, is what they're called. <laughs> now I've never. And he is from, James is from Texas. <laughs> I am from Texas, and uh, absolutely love, love, love wearing boots here. And uh, but. If I look at that as a component of spirituality, okay. If boots can be spirituality, then you know it's basically what 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 kind of energizes you, what connects you. It does exactly, and then I say the spectrum goes all the way to uh, how do you conceptualize what happens before we're born and after we die? I don't care what you use, mm -hmm. religion can conspiracy, alien nature, relationship, people. You're looking to ground the unknown and the anxiety, Eric, that mm -hmm. comes from it. And Lord knows we have so much anxiety with the diagnosis of ADHD, right? So spirituality to me, you know, I think I, I, I get 80% into that description in my book and I make the statement, you realize I've said nothing about religion. Yeah. No. And you were very clear to say too that you can be agnostic or absolutely uh, or, um, atheist, and so I was like, "All right." So I didn't tune out. You know, you, you put that in there pretty quickly before I tuned out. Very quickly, no, because if you look at from a, a sense of a, 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 a someone who's atheist, mm -hmm. okay, someone who is a, atheist likely 
gets meaning from their daily living just from what is mm-hmm. relationships. I'm going to dinner tonight with a friend and that's the meaning in my life. Well, great. That's the, to me, that's a spirituality, but we have just, Oh man, we've made it way too much of a problem. And it's, I think it's really critical for us as a tool because we need personal meaning mm-hmm. in the ADHD world and the diagnoses to manage the stress of it. And when we have it, life changes. Life really does change. I still can't believe I put my boot up in the front of the mirror, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and if this video ever gets posted, we'll get to see James's boot. <laughs> Talk to us a little bit about um, about um, EMDR. I was trying to read my own writing. I'm like, FMDR, what does that mean? Yeah. My, my, uh, the, the bottom line on my E wasn't clear enough. Uh, talk to us about EMDR. So EMDR is a desensitization technique for high states of anxiety and distress. It's a clinically trained technique uh, called eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Essentially, Eric, it activates the bilateral crossing of the mind, which is produced in rapid eye movement, dream sleep at night. What they discovered is that we can wash out mental and emotional stress, particularly of post-traumatic stress or high long-term stress by using this technique in a clinically trained setting. And it desensitizes, it washes out the fears and the anxieties of those past histories. Now, interestingly enough, EMDR, because of the bilateral nature of crossing, it becomes like a conscious state of hypnosis. So I'm aware of what's going on, but now I have a different access to uh, my neurology in a way I don't normally do as you and I are talking. We're using left and right hemispheres, but in a rhythmic fashion that Mm -hmm. is pulling information. EMDR also helps to strengthen my internal connection to my neurological imagination, my internal sense of self now. And so I'm using EMDR in building internal worlds for people to rely on to calm stress and to calm anxiety that comes off the condition. And I have to tell you, 15 years ago, I thought I was barking up some pretty crazy trees. Um, And once the science started to come in around EMDR and other types of uh, meditation, mindfulness, imaginary kind of techniques, it's a pretty fun world I play in now. And you go into quite quite detail about the the imaginative <laughs> the, your imagination world your 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 three hundred and sixty degree uh, room that you have that rotates oh, yeah. that's always in bloom. Uh, you're yes. you have a you have, you have a pet dragon. I do, I do. I, this is the first time someone's asked about it on national <laughs> on a national podcast. So I so appreciate. It. Yes, I have a forty five foot purple dragon. I ride around in my safe place in my imagination. And if you can think about the power that's going to come from a fire breathing dragon, uh, well, then you can believe that the confidence and courage I have about what I'm doing is real. Eric, I'm using these concepts and these metaphors to neutralize the stress that we feel at such a huge level with ADHD uh, that has just been layered for so many years. Why not make it fun and interesting, right? And I think that's something that we do also naturally um, is is our we our mind wanders, but and you'd sort of talk about this as therapeutic daydreaming. <laughs> and I think it's great because you're giving yourself permission to do that to create this sort of 
playful, imaginative scenario yes. in your mind that you can sort of do to to kind of cut the the heat off of some of those intensive emotional exactly. experiences. Exactly. And you know, yes. so in in the mindfulness world, we talk about sort of leaning into it, just get curious about it. But right. so it's and it it's. In one way, it could look like it's sort of competing approaches, but I just look at it as another tool in the toolbox. I agree. I completely agree. And when you look at his therapeutic daydreaming, that I'm daydreaming for a reason to calm myself, to mentally and emotionally feel connected to who I am. And um, and it's been just a world of fun. I It would have been the last place 20 years ago that I would have guessed where the neutralizing effect of the stress was going to come from around ADHD and the disruption it creates. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I talk in the book about great moments in my imaginary history. And I tell you, my imaginary worlds continue to grow, Eric. And so I got lots any, of any, any new additions. Oh yeah. Quite a few. Let's see. I could tell you about the, uh, I have a meditation spot by my, behind my hundred foot waterfall. It's this little bitty cubby so I can look through this waterfall of water falling. And it's, can you imagine sitting behind a hundred foot waterfall and meditate? I'm just like, I'm like there right now and just unbelievably calm and connected. Um, and so that's an addition that's been in the last couple of months. No, that's, that's great. I mean, I, I, just, I love that, that idea. And I have, a, I have a, a place myself. Uh, oh, great. That, and I was thinking, when I was listening to yours, I was like, you know, I should really add some, some stuff to mine. Uh, Cause the mine oh, yeah. is, I'm at a, a beach. There's two seagulls that are always going overhead. I have, right. I'm on a hammock that is at a, about a 30 degree angle with, about the, with about the same wind as you describe in your nice. book. Nice. And uh, so again, I think, Brothers from another mother, you know, there's so many parallels uh, in there. there but I'm telling you, I think there are so many people who have used their imagination in ways that they didn't realize was powerful. I also like to think about this as maturing our imagination from yes. childhood. And yes. we learn to use it powerfully, not just for brainstorming and designing, but for mm -hmm. real mental emotional health. Yes, yes. And sure. there's been many, many great ideas that I have come up with through just letting my mind wander. I've, I hey, definitely I'm, find the, the, the power of that. Hey, Eric, I have a, um, a, a former uh, executive coaching client who is a game designer. And he goes into his virtual worlds designing his games and then comes out of them to go write the code. I'm thinking that, you know, we're just starting to get the science research on imagination and what's going on in the mind when it's happening. Uh, and we're still very early into that space of understanding it. What I want to do is we're going to take a quick break. Uh, before we do that, I just want to let remind everyone that the, the name of the book is Focus Forward, uh, Navigating the Storms of Adult ADHD. I'll have links for it on, uh, on my website. It's also available on Amazon. And as everyone knows, that listeners of this podcast can get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash ADHD Rewired. We're going to be right back. And when we come back, we are going to be talking about consistency for a singular system. So right. James is going to step in the hot seat and we're going to help him get his ADHD rewired. And we'll be right back. This week's audible listener recommendation comes from Shakira Megji. And Shakira, what do you do? I work at a shared co-working space for entrepreneurs and we're also a community and we provide resources to help people's businesses grow. 
And Shakira's recommendation is... The War of Art, Winning the Inner Creative Battle by Stephen Pressfield. The book talks about basically two forces inside every person. And those two forces are creativity and resistance. And Stephen posits that these two forces naturally occur in every single person. So if you want to create a life of purpose, meaning, passion, and fulfillment, you need to figure out how to tame your inner resistance and cultivate your inner creativity. Who do you think should listen to this book? Every single person who would like to create a life of meaning and purpose. The book is in this beautiful poetic prose format. No matter how you're consuming it, it, it is so easy to consume. I think for people who are interested in your podcast, who struggle with things like self-sabotage and fear of failure and procrastination and perfectionism, the way he talks about resistance is extremely relatable for anybody who has ADHD and who struggles with all the requisite problems. Um, so my favorite part is just how non-judgmental and understanding he is of what resistance means to people like us and how he treats it as definitely a force that is surmountable. It's something you have to fight every day. It's a part of everyday life. But that understanding and acknowledgement of resistance is actually really liberating because he talks about how to actually fight it every day, what practical steps you can take. And that is just, I mean, so much of it, like you talk about in so many episodes, is about shame. It's about, you know, the fear of that resistance. And once you talk about it like a fact of life, and then you talk about how to defeat it every day, it becomes so much less scary. And then it loses so much of its power. And you can really tap into your creativity. You can also tap in to a free audiobook download by going to audibletrial.com slash ADHD rewired for a free 30-day trial and a free download registration for this fall's adhd rewired coaching and accountability group is only four weeks away august 22nd through the 31st 2016 have you set reminders or added it to your calendar yet go to adhdrewired.com to learn more information about the group from the important to the important Learn how to schedule, make effective to-do lists, develop better systems, and even learn ways to automate parts of your life. This is way more than just productivity. This is wholehearted productivity. Schedule your call with me between August 22nd through August 31st. 30 sessions, three times per week, two convenient times, 10.30 a.m. or 12.30 p.m. Central Time. We start September 12th. Go to ADHDrewired.com to learn more and to schedule your registration call with me today. That's ADHDrewired.com and prepare to get your ADHD rewired. And we are back with James Ochoa, author of Focused Forward. All right, so James, are you ready to get your ADHD rewired? Absolutely. I'm always always looking for new help. So you shared with me that uh, one of the things that you're struggling with, I guess, is consistency on a singular system. So tell me a little bit more about that. Well, um, certainly as a professional counselor in the practice that I have, uh, tracking the things I need to do is a multifaceted issue. 
So whether these are professional or, uh, uh, you know, diagnostic letters I need to write or personal things I need to do or things I need to take care of at the lease at the office. Uh, and so, you know, I capture, I, I've, I've used David Allen's getting things done systems. I use OmniFocus on my phone and it's probably 30 to 40% successful, which is pretty low. Um, and I generally am writing notes on a mental notes pad uh, next to my desk. But unfortunately, that becomes like a post-it note. They're becoming, they're all over the place after a while. Um, and so, and I've used larger uh, singular kind of post-it pads on the front of files that have uh, business development information. Some of those things work. But if, you know, truth be told, I probably have about four systems right now. And I can feel it getting a little out. I was like, here, it's getting pretty wobbly again. And, uh, and so I know that there are things I'm not following through with as consistently as I could. Okay. So do you feel that you do better with um, uh, analog, like writing things down, you know, pen and paper or digital? Uh, and I really, you know, it's interesting writing things down. Okay. I really do better writing things down. There's something about that, right? The physical writing aspect. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think that's accurate. And so it sounds like the, the other piece of digital, which is nice, is that it goes with us and we don't pile us of paper. It does. And I, and I can, you know, I, I'm out somewhere. I can grab my phone and just write it down real quick. But I generally don't go back to it as consistently as I do something that I've written down. So, James, here's here's sort of what I'm thinking. This is a, a one of the big assignments that I give uh, in in the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group. Um yeah. So I'm going to actually give this assignment to you oh, because cool. I think this would be really helpful for you. <laughs> okay. And now this, this task, it, this assignment, it, it might fall on, under the realm of what I call important. Mm -hmm. It's kind of boring, but important. Right. <laughs> so I, so what I want you to do is you have, do you have any paper pen in front of you? Uh, I can certainly, I, I have, I have those great mental notepads I talked about. All right. Okay. I've, okay, I've got one now. Okay, so down the, the side of the paper, I want you to, from the top to the bottom, write down the letters A-T-R-I-P, so A-TRIP. A-T-R-I-P, got it. All right, so this is an acronym that I came up with for sort of our, our all-encompassing sort of productivity um, uh, sort of vantage point when you have ADHD. So Great. A is for accountability. Great. Okay, so... The question I'll ask you there is what kind of accountability do you currently have and what do you need in order to maintain the, uh, the systems that you're trying to, to create and maintain? Well, um, the accountability I currently have is with my executive assistant who works with me in my practice and going over things that need to be done. There's one accountable space. Uh, but the other one is I, and this is one I'm not as consistent on is on a daily basis, twice a day, sometime before noon and sometime after six is what I tell myself. I need to go over what is on those lists. So is there someone in your office then that can check in with you during those times? Yes. So Kim could check, check in with me during those times. Okay. Let's go to the T and that's Got it. Timer, okay. timers. Okay. Where do you have timers in your office and in the areas of your life? To help you keep track of the now. Um, I have timers certainly on my iPhone. I have 
two clocks that I can see within visual distances of wherever I sit uh, in my practice. Um, and those are mainly the things I have as timers. I don't have a lot of timers on tracking time. Do you lose track of time? Uh, not so much. I generally pressurize myself too much and don't have enough time. Okay. Do you know, do you really know how long things actually take? Like, do you know how long it takes you to write your note, file it away? I am generally, uh, what I call my time skew factor is about 60%. So it might take me 60% longer than I think it's going to Eric. Mm -hmm. I know that I, uh, I undershoot on how long something's going to take me. Okay. So we have our, our timers, and that helps us keep track of the now. And I really encourage it, and I still do this myself, is I go, when I go through my to-do list, I will put next to the, the, the item on the to-do list a number. And that number is the minute marker prediction of how long I think that task will take. Oh, interesting. Okay. Right, because one of the nice things about that, so you know, often we have a, a bunch of little five- and ten-minute tasks. Correct. And, and when we know those tasks really do actually take five or ten minutes – so let's see if a, of a client that calls you and says, oh, I'm, I'm running about 10 minutes yeah. late. You can scan over to that list and say, all right, I, I can do that thing that takes five or 10 minutes. I like that a lot. And I actually, so absolutely, from an accountability, I will take my to-do list and write next, I'll put numbers next to it. I, I like that. That's absolutely something I'll do. And so one of the things that I, that I uh, will also do is um, I'll see how accurate I am. And so I'm regularly yep. timing my own tasks. And, what, and that sense of timing my tasks also helps me stay focused. Correct. Okay. Absolutely. So that's the timers. The R right. stands for reminders. That's for everything right. that's not now. Right. Right. And so that might be that. So you're using a new system or you're the certain strategy you're trying to, to use. Mm-hmm. It could be a, a regular reminder to use that system. And including the reminder of of the why, like why do you have this reminder in there to use this system? Mm-hmm. So really, kind of pushing the the motivational aspect of you know what was it that, that drove you to write this down in the first place? Correct. So not just Correct. the what, but include the why with the what. Got it. Okay. Excellent. Then we have this is sort of the biggest part, and this is where we sort of get into systems and and processes is the inputs. So T-R-I stands for inputs. Okay. Okay. And that's, this is everything. This is the your to-do list, your calendar, mm-hmm. your email, your voicemail, pile number one, number two, number three, number four. Right. Um, right. The right. random ideas, the, the thing that your wife tells you, the thing that your executive assistant tells you, right. all of these things. And what I would encourage you to do, I know that, that um, you mentioned this in your book, is that you like mind mapping, is do a yes. mind map of your inputs. Okay. Right. I will. It's a great idea. And then the my inputs. And then the P is is now three P's. I keep updating this. There's three P's. It's planning, Mm -hmm. processing, and processes. Okay. Okay. So you know, scheduling out your planning time. What what are what's the most important one or two things? And are you kind of carving out time, uh, blocking time in your calendar for that? Then, okay. then what's your process for all of those inputs? So can you actually map out where all of that information goes? So you take a, a client note, like what's, what channel does that follow from taking that, the client Got note? It. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think if you map that out, uh, there's a great tool that I really like uh, for, for kind of visually organizing a system. That's, uh, it's a website called realtimeboard.com. Okay. 
and you can have a lot of fun with it too. And you can use all these kind of icons and sticky notes and you can really, right. it can really help you uh, document the flow of information. And mm -hmm. then instead of trying to, to sit there and go, Hey, what, what was my system again? When you're engaging in that, that process, look, right. look at what you documented. Right. right. Exactly. Oh, I like it a lot. Okay. And then, um, and then one of the things you might find in that is that maybe there are some bottlenecks. So when you see everything all at the same time, you're going to be able to see hey, where does information flow and can I streamline things in a, in a different way? Mm -hmm. Like for you, you have an executive assistant. And so one of the things that I would love if I had an executive assistant in my office is I write my notes. I just throw them in a general bulk inbox and then my assistant would file it for me. Right. Right. That's I like that idea, actually, because Kim could really help me yeah, put these pieces together because and I do that randomly, but I don't do it on a system. Interesting. That could be really simple. And so I think part of the, the, the idea is so we have the process, then your your your, your processes. So mm -hmm. uh, I said that backwards, your processes, then your, your process. So. You have that you sort of document the whole, the workflow of where where your inputs right. come from, what you do with it next. But then you say, "Is this working for me?" Mm -hmm. Right? Like, is there, are there updates that I can make to this? And right. I think when you really track and document it, it actually does help you streamline and be cons more consistent with your your systems and your the tools that you're using within your system. You know, it's. Right. People ask me all the time, what's the, what's the best app for ADHD? And I say, it's the one you use and it's, the app doesn't matter. You know, and people say, well, I get bored of apps. Said, okay. So then switch your, switch your app, but, exactly. but that, but you need to migrate your information and don't just switch your app because you have too many items in your list. Ask yourself, why do I still have 110 items on my list? Cause I'm going to tell you, if you still have 110 items on your list, it's not the app. <laughs> right, right, right. Some system is, yeah, there's something's not working. <laughs> right. Okay. So, um, the planning, the processing, um, and then the processes. So then you kind of go back through all that and it creates sort of this, this cycle of mm -hmm. any, so you might, let's say you want to try a certain approach, put in mm -hmm. your calendar in a week, two weeks, three weeks, you know, say, all right, I've been doing this system for one week. How is this working for me? I've been doing right. this system for two weeks. How is this working for me? And so you're actually right. putting that in your calendar as a way to sort of prompt mm -hmm. you uh, to be thinking about uh, these these systems and these tools. You know, I'm a big tech guy, but I got to tell you, most of my planning I do is paper and pen. Yeah. yeah. It still works really, really well for me. And the mind mapping piece, I appreciate because it's how my mind thinks of information on a page. And it really does help me to kind of get things out there. You know, so when, when I hear people say, I want to stick to a single system, you know, it's it's looking, okay, how much of it is novelty seeking and, and, and sort of avoidance of tasks that are on our list? Mm -hmm. And and how much of it is it just get bored and need something new and shiny, right? Exactly. Like I, I created this whole video series about what I created. It was called the, the Everflex Paper Productivity Notebook. And it was really well thought out. And I used it for about two and a half years. I haven't used it for a while because I got bored of it. Right. Right. And, right. I, and, and, I'll, and I'll see someone like in my coaching groups who's seen these videos and they'll be, they're using the system. I'm like, oh, that's a really cool notebook. What is that? And I'm like, that's the system that you create. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's pretty, that's kind of cool, you know. But so the idea is to be intentional of where yes. things go and how you Absolutely. capture information, and it's yeah. okay to switch. Just be intentional about it. Correct. Absolutely. You know? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and that resetting systems is critical for us because it's you know, like our minds love to explore that stuff. So these are really helpful tools. I really appreciate this around my own systems uh, and I will take this on. So if we can get uh, some accountability here, going back to that, that a, right. what is, uh-huh. what is based on what we just discussed, what is one thing that you can commit to doing based on this conversation? And when can I follow up with you on it? So I will commit to set a meeting time with my executive assistant, Kim, to go over uh, the, this idea, these mind maps and the input, uh, the planning kind of a piece uh, to see how she can help me put these pieces together, how she can play a part to assist. I will do that. I will set a meeting time with her next week. Okay. And will you share the results uh, with me? I will. I'd be happy to. Okay. So when can I follow up with you on that? Um, let's look at, uh, we can follow up next Wednesday. All right. Add it to my calendar on July 20th to follow up with James about his meeting with his executive assistant. What time is your appointment? 8.30 a.m. Okay, I can create your meeting. Note that you already have an appointment about camp at 9 a.m. Shall I schedule it anyway? Yes. I scheduled your event for 8.30 a.m. Wednesday. All right. Here we go. And I did it at 8.30 because I know I'm not seeing any clients at that time, so it shows up in the beginning of my calendar. But my son, nice. my son will be in camp at that time. Great. Great. James, so I'm looking at my uh, my timer right now, and we just hit the zero mark, which means we are right. out of time. Okay. All right. Any final thoughts you want to share with us, and how can people get a hold of you um, and kind of find more information about you, your book, and, and all things you? Yes. Uh, well, at jamesochoa.com, uh, which will also take you to the Life Empowerment Center, uh, which is my practice in Austin, Texas, has all my information on my website. Uh, I do have a Facebook page uh, at the ADHD Clinic, the Life Empowerment Center. Uh, I am also on Twitter at at ADHD Insights. And I'm also on LinkedIn. If people are on LinkedIn and want to just Google my name, James Ochoa, um, I have a lot of information there on my platform as well. Well, James Ochoa, thank you so much for spending the hour with us and uh, for for sitting in the hot seat and and getting your ADHD rewired with our listeners here. And we really appreciate it. And as I would definitely suggest going and getting his book, it is, it's a pretty easy read. It's only a hundred and and like 33 pages, 133 pages. It is. So definitely go check that out. And James, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on, Eric. I really appreciate getting the word out, and I love the work that you're doing in the world of ADHD. Thanks. Thanks. We'll talk again soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This has been Eric Tivers, and I want to thank you for listening to another episode of ADHD Rewired. If you're new to the show, welcome. We are more than just a podcast. We are a community focused on learning, growing, and connection. You can learn more about us at ADHDrewired.com. You can find additional resources for each episode, join our private Facebook group, learn about the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group, join the email list, schedule a free consultation with me to learn more about my services, or even schedule with me to be a guest on this podcast. It's all at ADHDrewired.com. 
Season 7 of the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group starts September 12th. Supercharge your productivity. Experience the power of group coaching the ADHD Rewired way. Go to ADHDrewired.com and click the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group graphic for more information and to schedule your free registration and screening call with me. Don't let this season pass you by. Did you know that I give talks and all-day workshops? If your school, business, or organization, or conference planning committee are looking to hire that person to give an incredible, educational, inspirational talk on ADHD, whether you're looking for a keynote speaker or an all-day workshop, look no further than ADHDrewired.com and click on Talks at the top of the page. Don't just be a passive listener. Be an active member of the ADHD Rewired community or on Facebook. You can like our page, but submit your request to join our free and growing community. Watch for a message from me on Facebook because I screen everybody before they come into the group. Help spread the word. Hit the share button right there in your podcast player, and you could send this to a friend, post it on Facebook, Twitter, or your favorite social media channel. And if you're in any other ADHD-based group online, don't be shy about mentioning this podcast. We're all looking for resources. Tell your clients about it. Tell your therapist or coach about it. And tell them that their clients will like it. And if you go to a local support group like Chad, mention this podcast at your next meeting. And if you want to let me know how you shared it, send me a message at ADHDrewired.com or message me on Facebook or Twitter. I'm at Eric Tivers. You can also help people learn about this podcast by leaving an honest rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. Go now or set yourself a reminder, and then, after you do it, give yourself a pat on the back, or maybe even a gold star. You deserve it. You can help ADHD Rewired get a new and improved website by checking out my sponsors and affiliates, Zoom, Audible, and Amazon. If you're a coach, you gotta check out Zoom. You and your clients will love it. Have you ever seen one of my webinars? I use Zoom for that too. Go free, go pro, or go webinar. But please, tell Zoom to pay me by going to erictivers.com slash Zoom or click the Zoom logo at the bottom of ADHDrewired.com. Looking for more ways to listen and learn? Get a free audiobook and a free 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash ADHD Rewired. And if you love shopping as much as I do, which is not at all, then you probably shop the way I do, and that's on Amazon. Next time you go to Amazon, use the Amazon search portal at ADHDrewired.com. A small percentage of your purchase will go to support this show, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Production support, audio mixing, editing, uploading, and show notes, which you can find at ADHDrewired.com, comes from Tom Nardone. Check out his inconsistently released but consistently entertaining podcast, The Tom Nardone Show. Tom blogs at tomnardone.net, which is also where you can pick up a copy of Chasing Kites, a true story about Tom growing up with ADHD when nobody knew about ADHD. Join Tom as he shares stories from his childhood through adulthood. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll gasp, you might hold your children tight, and you might get strange looks by anyone sitting around you. Get your copy of Chasing Kites at tomnardone.net. 
available in print and as a digital download. This has been Eric Tivers reminding you that if you want to be more productive, prioritize self-care and don't sacrifice sleep. And as long as you keep starting what you've already started, you'll continue getting closer to finishing what is not yet done. Until next time.